Hey everybody, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend on Spotify or wherever you guys are listening to the podcast. I am the host, Josh Sanchez, and the purpose of Your Spiritual Best Friend is to connect spirituality, mental health, and astrology all in one because it's important for everyone to realize that we are all on our own spiritual journey at the end of the day. So the more we open up, the more we are able to connect with each other and grow as a collective society. So sit back and relax and enjoy your spiritual best friend. Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. When it comes to today's episode, I got a chance to interview special guest Isaiah Cruz. Isaiah is a psychiatric nurse practitioner and a specialist in addiction medicine. Me and Isaiah talk about the addictive mind and what are some medications that can be used to help treat addiction. Isaiah opens up and shares his own journey from being around people that have experienced addiction and how that led him to become an addiction healer and psychiatric nurse practitioner. Isaiah and I also talk about porn addiction and how so many people experience porn addiction, but they are scared to open up and talk about it. And Isaiah also recommends proper medication to help treat addiction. And if you guys know anyone that does have a porn addiction, Isaiah is someone that you guys can go to because he's very knowledgeable and can help you guys out through that process. But you can check out the links to all of Isaiah's work by clicking in the link in the show description. And like always, guys, please like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your ratings and subscriptions will help boost the podcast overall. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Isaiah. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend. I am your host, Josh Sanchez, and I'm here with a very special guest, Isaiah Cruz. Isaiah, how are you doing today, and what's going on? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Isaiah, for reaching out and wanting to come on a podcast. I've really been looking forward to our conversation just because this topic that we're really going to get into today is definitely a very like quiet topic. I definitely feel like it needs to be talked about more. But Isaiah, I think just to start off our podcast, uh, we can tell the audience and listeners just a little bit of like your background and a little bit of your journey uh, to what you love to do now. Yeah, great. I, uh, I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. It's kind of a mouthful. Uh, but I, I started addiction medicine 2016 uh, with uh, opiate addiction, alcohol addiction, like heroin addiction, pills, things like that. Uh, uh, doing some counseling and most of the medication portion of it. And uh, transitioned more to alcohol 2020, 2021, working from home. I like that. And uh, kind of from alcohol, I transitioned to, uh, to pornography addiction. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a weird transition. So I, I was uh, treating patients with alcohol use disorder with a medication called naltrexone. All right. So then, uh, in the course of about one month, I had about five different guys tell me, I'm no longer taking it for alcohol. I take it because it keeps me away from porn. And it really took me back. And I thought, wow, one, that's pretty brave because uh, any addiction is hard to, to, to say out loud. But 
pornography addiction has an additional stigma to it. It's like you're labeled as a pervert. <laughs> I'd rather be an alcoholic than a, than a, por- a porn addict. So uh, I started doing some research and there's been some several medical studies done on this medication for for treatment of uh, sex addiction, Internet sex addiction, pornography addiction, things like that. So nobody's doing it. Nobody really knows about it. So a colleague of a colleague and I, we, we decided to take it, uh, uh, take it nationwide in the U.S. And we're in all 50 states uh, doing telemedicine with uh, medication. Wow, Isaiah. So first, as I'm hearing you describe your journey, I'm just like you go from you've worked with like a history of like addiction. And that just Mm -hmm. leads me just like to my like my first question. Have you always has like addiction always been like a theme in your life? Like what led you into that path of like helping people with addiction? So from from the time I was little, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was an alcoholic, uh, died at the age of 50, 53 from cirrhosis of the liver. So he was, you know, professional what we call it in the in the field he was a professional and uh he had he was pretty abusive to my grandmother and my mom and uh so my mom would tell me stories and she was like i i don't want you drinking alcohol it runs in the family so that kind of kind of scared me (laughs) uh so like you know all the kids in high school drinking and i was like man if i came home drunk it would just break my mom's heart like i can't do that to her so i kind of stayed away from the alcohol portion of it but from the age of 10, uh, I was exposed to porn and it, porn kind of got his hooks in me at early at 10 years old. Like the brain is barely developing like that kind of dopamine release and it really just alters it. So that I had a whole struggle with that. Um, and then, and then 2013, I started working in the emergency room uh, and our ER had us you know, attached to it in our hospital. So I would get all the acute psychotic patients get uh it, we did dual diagnosis so we'll get people wanting to withdraw from heroin withdraw from alcohol who also had mental health disorders so from there so really from my career 2013 i was exposed to more the emergent side of things and that uh so when 2016 came up i finished the nurse practitioner program this job came up and i thought very few people go go to school like yeah i'm gonna work in addiction medicine yeah it's just not a field <laughs> you know pediatrics sure mm-hmm. delivering babies yeah that's a happy event addictions not really like so um but when that job came up i was like you know what i kind of like that crowd and as far as opiates go i want to be a part of the solution not a part of the problem so that's kind of what what geared me those are a little bit of my history on how i ended up here yeah, Isaiah, first, I want to say thank you for being so open to share, you know, because like it's definitely when we all experience things and we all go through our own journey, you know, like it's kind of hard for open up for us to open up and, you know, and be honest with ourselves. Like, yeah, like when I was little, like for you, like to open up and share, like at 10 years old, being exposed to porn. Like, I, I think that's especially now with the new age of like cell phones and the Internet, like it's very it's easily accessible. So to for you to be open first, for you to open up and share and be so open, I really appreciate that as well. And even with your family too. And for me, like just to share a little bit of my background as well, I'm going to be a mental health counselor and I've always been around some sort of mental health like disorder. Like my mom had bipolar. Uh, My dad has had in and out stage of like depression and stuff. So it's just been like a constant just, I just been around. So as I was hearing you describe your journey, like seeing like your grandfather and also like how your family, how addiction or how like that like affects your whole family. Yeah. Like I can relate to that in some way, shape or form as well. And I definitely have some aunts as well that have had a history of addiction. So it's just like yeah. it's like it just to prove your point, like 
we don't just come in saying like, oh yeah, I want to help people with like addiction, you know, you, you kind of have to be around and exposed to it. So first I want to say thank you, Isaiah, for, for being so open to share. And, and I really appreciate that. But just my next question, just continuing a little bit, I know you said like you've worked with like addiction in general. What do you think is, what are some like common themes that you really see when you are working with someone that does have an addiction? Like what really goes on in the brain and in the mind? So common themes is abuse, trauma, neglect. Those are all um, factors that influence influence that. And people oftentimes people self-medicate. But uh, to answer more specifically your question, um, the changes in the brain with addiction. So brain imaging studies over the last 30, 40 years really gave us a better understanding of addiction. So, uh, you know, brain study of the brain and, and one of, a, of an addict's brain, they physically look different. So you have changes in your prefrontal cortex and your nucleus accumbens. But what that what, what it does is it changes the executive function and the executive function controls decision making. Yeah. So it impairs your decision making. So and um, so then more recently, I believe those 2015 study compared uh, brain imaging studies of a cocaine addict's brain and a chronic porn user's brain. And those changes in the brain were almost identical. And, and that that right there, they, they they boasted that pornography was more addictive than cocaine. Why? Because of the accessibility and the affordability and the anonymity. With cocaine, you actually have to go out and buy it. So you have to expose yourself to somebody, some risk, some money, and not everybody has it. But with porn, it's just everywhere for free. Nobody has to know about it. And you get that same dopamine release, those same changes in their brain. So that's how that one person argued that porn is more addictive than cocaine. Wow, that is actually just so like just crazy to, to hear, you know, it's just because yeah. you can I can only imagine seeing like the images of the brain and just comparing the images from like someone that's addicted to cocaine and porn and to see it the exact same. It must have been just completely eye opening to, to witness, um, but just adding to adding to our discussion. So. I know that you mentioned like there's an argument out there that pornography, because of the accessibility and it's not expensive, it's free. You can easily just Google it. You're a quick Google search away. Like how does someone with a porn addiction, like what really like goes on through their mind? Like how does that really affect them with their everyday life? If you kind of get my question, I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, I'm going to get into answer your question around about way. So somebody watches porn. They release dopamine. Their brain releases dopamine. You feel good. Neurotransmitter. Yep. I liked it. Let's do it again. So your brain creates a new pathway to think about doing that activity again because it liked it. You do that hundreds of times and thousands of times. And that's how a person develops a compulsion. Compulsive gamblers, compulsive porn addicts. That's all you can think about. And then you have a little bit of like the Pavlovian effect. I'm stressed. My brain automatically throws some intrusive thoughts about porn because to be honest, it, it, it is a stress reliever. It works just like alcohol. So um, then you get the, you, you, you get these triggers that trigger intrusive thoughts. I'm, I'm an anxious porn. Mm -hmm. I can't sleep porn at a rough day at work porn. Uh, I'm mad. I porn will calm me down. So uh, these high levels of dopamine in your brain, your brain wasn't made for that. And so your brain wants to achieve homeostasis. So what it does is it starts churning off dopamine receptors. It's a, it's a condition called dopamine downregulation. So, because your brain wants to lower its dopamine levels, this isn't normal. So that's how a person starts becoming more and more depressed. 
went after chronic pornography use. And then you have to compare really high dopamine release from porn and then the dopamine release from hugging family members. You know, the stuff that's supposed to bring you joy out of life, that dopamine release is low compared to the dopamine release from porn. And that's how a person just gets less and less pleasure out of life. Wow. So it's sort of just like this, like added snowball effect, you know, like where it's like every time, like when you're stressed and you're anxious, like you, you use porn as like a, like a solution, like a stress relief. And then all of a sudden that just builds, the more you keep doing that more and more and more. And then towards the end of your answer, you mentioned how like the physical aspect, like when someone actually gives you a hug, you know, it doesn't have that same feeling because of the consistent release. Um, And that just leads me just right to my next question. So like, let's say like we do have an, a porn, porn addiction, you know, what are some solutions that you do? Because I know you've been working with people that have experienced porn addiction. Like what is like the first steps that you would recommend for them to take to really just like work on that addiction and get them get them back to like appreciating, you know, like and getting used to that physical affection again? Yeah. So I always say addiction isn't rocket science. Most people will know what to do in their gut. You eat less and you exercise, but for some reason, it's so darn hard to do that. Same thing with with, uh, porn addiction. You know what to do. You have to limit your unmonitored internet time, get an adult content filter, get an accountability partner or a coach or a mentor, somebody who you can say, hey, I had a rough day at work. I'm really struggling. I want to watch porn. What should I do? And and someone to talk you down off the ledge. From there, you have to go to therapy. I, I do the medicine aspect of things. I do do some counseling and therapy in my in my other practice, but for the most part, I decided with, with our business, there's good therapists all over, and probably doing it better than I am. So why I, that's not going to fill a need as much as the medicine. So that's why we focus just on the medication. So get into therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Another one I usually recommend is motivational interviewing. It's a little less uh, common, but I highly recommend it if you can find a good motivational interviewer. Um, that that is uh, where where it's at. And then when like so, a listener is carrying medication for pornography for the first time, like what's what well, that's odd. <laughs> it, it is, and I get that that yeah. that uh, a lot. Like, what do you mean? I had one person ask if I did chemical castration. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that's not at all what I. Did. So. Um, when do you know that it's time for medication? And that's, that's a question each individual person has to answer for themselves. Now, when I say porn addict, most people think of the guy, and sometimes girl, who watches porn all day, every day, right? And that, that's true. But there's also once a week porn addicts and once a month porn addicts. And I usually get a little bit of weird looks at that. and like, but how do you define addiction? Mm-hmm. Addiction, I usually define it as this doing something that's harmful to you, mm-hmm. wanting to quit, and being unable to consistently stop. Mm-hmm. So, I, if I use my, my uh, patient as an example. He was a religious person. He would slip up, watch porn on Saturday, go to church on mm-hmm. Sunday, feel horrible, feel like a hypocrite. You know, it's most religions I know of frown mm-hmm. upon porn use. Uh, so, this guy. And and he wouldn't watch porn every week. You know, he would swear off of porn for a month and then slip up and then three months and then slip up. And then so this went on for almost 10 years, Mm -hmm. the cycle of slipping up. And I mean, technically, that does qualify as an addiction. And he got on medication and that that really helped just gave him the extra push to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. So I always say therapy first. And then if 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 that fails, it's 
depend, it's time to at least consider being evaluated for medication because we have, I have patients who, who come in and, and their wife is ready to leave them if they can't stop watching porn. 20% of men have admit to watching porn at work. That right there kind of says, yeah, you, you have a problem. <laughs> if you can't wait till you get home, yeah. like some, some, some of my guys come in and with, you know, they got suspended from work and they're on probation because they had porn on their computer. You're going to lose your life, your livelihood. Let's throw everything we can at this. Um, so. Hey, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Podcast as a collaboration between Racket and Stir. Podcast gave away over $100,000 to up and coming podcasters as a way to support insanely creative and inspiring podcasters. We know how difficult it can be to get a podcast off the ground and running, but with Podcast, it's a great way to get cash, and best of all, it's all free for your podcast. So if podcasting has been on your to-do list or you're already a podcaster, go to podcast.com to stay up to date with future podcast happenings. That's again, podcast.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-H.com. I hope to see your future podcast. So I know you mentioned like you're, you do your focus more on the medicine side of it. What are some medications that you recommend for someone that is experiencing like a porn addiction? Yeah, good question. So the first medication I mentioned earlier, naltrexone. Uh, in the U.S., FDA approved for opiate use disorder and alcohol use disorder. It's used off-label for gambling, pornography addictions. How it works, it's one, makes a person less impulsive. Yeah. Two, it helps to reduce intrusive thoughts about porn use. And then the third thing it does is it limits the endorphin release from external stimuli. So uh, typically the next question I get is, is it going to limit endorphin release from the good things in life? Like mm -hmm. my family members had sex with my spouse, working yeah. out, things like that. Short answer is no, it does differentiate. And how that works correlates to pornography use is you open your computer to check an email about work and your brain has this Pavlovian effect. Open computer means I watch porn. So you automatically start releasing endorphins, much like the heroin addict. I have heroin addicts who inject water into their veins and get hot. Why? It's the process. Your brain says, okay, this is what's going on. And so it shuts the snowball down before it gets started. That medication, naltrexone, does not affect the libido. Uh, so kind of the fan favorite there yeah. and uh the next next one is ssri cytalopram mm -hmm. very common antidepressant used uh for to help with depression and anxiety so we use it for pornography use disorder because it reduces anxiety secondary to uh stopping porn and antidepressants are known for causing sexual dysfunction wow. so we took that and we used we're using it to our advantage now mm -hmm. so oftentimes singles people who aren't sexually active who aren't necessarily worried about their libido will start this medication to decrease their libido and mm -hmm. thus decrease their porn cravings. Yeah. So yeah, Isaiah, and I, I appreciate your insight in just like your, just your insight when it comes to like understanding like each of the medications as well and the, the side effects and the positives of each one. And I definitely think the listeners will definitely appreciate that as well. So there's a multiple medications for you guys to check out. And if you are experiencing porn addiction or any other form of prediction, you can use some of these, you know, like medications stuff to really help you guys. 
Um, but let's transition a little bit. I know we talked a lot about when it comes to like your journey, like what led you to help others with addiction and even like what goes through the mind of porn addiction and why is it just like even like solutions to it. Um, relationships are a big part of all of our lifetimes, you know, especially like if, like me and you, we've all experienced relationships in general. My first question just for you to start off this relationship part of the podcast what are some qualities that you really look for in your own friendships and even like romantic partners? That's a good question. Um, so what I find is, and I was actually talking to a therapist about this. He said, my therapist, because I think everybody should have a therapist, talking <laughs> to my therapist. And he's like, look at your friends. Like they should, have, they probably have the same background as you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to think, you know, like, you know, my three closest friends, they, all have very similar lifestyles growing up as I did. And we, mm-hmm. we kind of found each other. And, and I was like, man, that's, that's crazy how that happens. Yeah. You know, you find people kind of like you. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a broad question. I don't know how to answer it. But I guess <laughs> other than people who think kind of like me um, and, and have to share the same uh, values and mm-hmm. share the same uh, similar goals in life. It's crazy how some like just how like universe, spirituality, like whoever, whatever you guys choose to, you know, like identify, believe in. It's crazy how that works, you know, like life in general, where it's like you'll meet people that experience similar stuff as you. And then it's just to relate to you, like some of me and some of my closest friends, it's like the same thing, you know, and it's like we all found each other. And it's crazy to think, like, what are the odds that we're all going to find each other if you if you really sit and reflect? But I really think that is some good qualities to really look for. And uh, when it comes to like relationships in general, I know for you, you've been in a field really focusing on like helping people, especially experiencing like porn addiction. What's some advice that you would give to someone that is experiencing like like a porn addiction in their relationship? What's some advice that you would give to them? As like their their partner has an addiction? Yes. Yeah. So we'll do partner for the first part. And then. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So definitely uh, that's a hard, hard place to be for the person because it's uh, oftentimes I'll say is oftentimes it's men who have the problem, right? Not always though. There's a lot of women who have, have uh, pornography addictions and, and that, so I'm just going to say men because it's more common. It's a, it's, it's a hard place to be for the the spouse or the significant other, because the typically people will view it as uh, a cheating on them like an adulterous relationship because you're viewing someone else in an intimate manner, other people not. But one thing I hear often is, am I not good enough? Why are you going somewhere else? Am I not, am I not pretty enough? Am I not thin enough? Am I not, do I not do, do enough, you know, X, Y, Z in the bedroom? Like it, the, the partner's self-esteem takes a huge hit mm-hmm. and may or may not ever recover from that. So um, before you consume, consider consider the consequences. Uh, I'm not here to tell a person, yes, porn is, porn is bad or porn is good. Uh, that's not my place. But before before a person consumes, uh, they should they should weigh the benefits and the, con- the pros and cons because you're not just going to hurt yourself. Um, it, it can hurt uh, your significant other. Just like when it comes to like advice, like what would you do to really help? the partners, you know, just like get through that process, you know, like, am I am worthy, you know, like what's some advice that you would give to them to answer that question? So go to therapy and then tell your partner how you feel. Like if you don't like your partner watching porn, that's an okay expectation in the relationship. 
And your partner may not say so. They might say, <laughs> you know, everybody watches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. But I, my expectation in this relationship is for you to abstain from porn while we're in this relationship. And if and if and and lay that down as your expectation and see what your partner says about that. Talk through it. See how they feel about it. And go from there. Yeah, that is a really solid, great piece of advice, Isaiah. And I really appreciate, again, just your insight and just openness to, you know, have these like conversations. I really appreciate it. Now that we talked about the experience of like a partner experience in like porn addiction, like what's some advice do you give to them now on the flip side, what's some advice that you would give to someone that is experiencing a porn addiction and is trying to like work on their relationship and sustain the relationship. It's sort of like that addiction is just breaking their relationship apart. What's some advice that you would give to them to work on that and make sure that their relationship, you know, just gets rekindled and, and worked on. Yeah. Same, same exact thing. Therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, therapy is where it's at. And you got to go in and, and discover why you're using it. Yeah. What's the root cause here? What are we medicating? Is it undiagnosed anxiety? Is it some childhood trauma? Is it boredom? Uh, is it boredom, stress, uh, loneliness? What is it that, why do we keep turning to porn? So your therapist will kind of dig into that. Sometimes it gets harder before it gets better to go going through that therapy. Yeah. And, uh, and then I would challenge a person to be open with their significant other and like, Hey, this is, this is how it started. Now mm-hmm. it's exposed as a child and I kind of got the hooks in mm-hmm. and I don't want to continue this. It's important to have, I, I use, I hesitate to use the word accountability partner because it has a negative connotation to it. At mm-hmm. least for me, you can get a coach, call them a mentor, a coach mm-hmm. or whatever. Oftentimes the spouse doesn't want to be that for you. And that's mm-hmm. okay. It's mm-hmm. not their job to hold you accountable, yeah. but they also need some reassurance that you aren't um, going back to your old ways. So however you piece that out is, is there's different apps and things you can do. Um, but open communication and relationship, you know, that's kind of the generic answer for everything. You go into therapy. Like I always said, addiction isn't rocket science. It's yeah. you, you know what to do. There's no magic, mm-hmm. magic to this. It's just the hard work that you have to put in. Yeah, it's just like it's going to be a long journey, you know, and just learning to take it day by day to, you know, and I agree with your advice, finding someone that will hold you accountable, not just relying on your partner to do it, because that just adds more stress to it. So it's like finding someone that does hold you accountable. You're also going and putting in the work as well, going to therapy, support groups, wherever, you know, and it's going and realizing that it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a day-to-day grind. And I definitely think Isaiah, again, I've really appreciated our conversation so far and your insight and just openness to share relationships and also your journey through everything as well. But transitioning a little bit, I know you mentioned how you gotten a lot of men that have came to you and asked you for help and for like med- and like medicine and stuff. How do you feel like men's mental health has been over the years from when you started as as a helper to now into the mental health field? So like how has that really changed from the beginning to towards now? Men's mental health is a big issue um, because it's it's been overlooked for decades and decades um because men don't want to appear weak i find that uh men will often 
this is kind of a, a funny, a funny phenomenon here. They'll often, if they do choose help to go to help, they'll often seek uh, help from a female therapist mm-hmm. as opposed to a male. Like it, yeah. that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Well, you don't want to show weakness in front of a man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you have a male therapist, you get vulnerable. That's weak. <laughs> but if you do it in front of a female. There's more of like a nurturing type motherly, mm-hmm. like I'm, a, I'm okay to feel weak in front of a, a mother type figure. It's, mm-hmm. it, they're nurturing. So uh, that's one option for men who are hesitant to, to seek therapy. But I honestly have, have found it's kind of gotten a little better for men. I, I think it's a little bit more acceptable now to say, Hey, I'm going to therapy or I need some help here. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that, that, that um, has turned around. Yeah, Isaiah, I want to say first, I know you mentioned that you've gone into therapy too. So I want to just mm-hmm. commend you for doing yeah. that as well. I also go to therapy too. I recommend everybody to find, sure. a, to find a professional help uh, because whether you're a man, woman, however you choose to identify, like it's important to get help and to process because we've all experienced some form of trauma, some way, shape or form. So I know like throughout humanity, like men have always been taught to behave a certain way, but it's like, why do you think what really for you? Like why, why men like really like think that way? Yeah, that's, it's our, it's our society. And I was raised in that culture as well. Like I had to be tough. My dad was a boxing coach. (laughs) He was was tough. (laughs) And you know, I, if I got hurt, I couldn't show like you can you're a man man up tough it up and uh i have four daughters and i love just just baby and my daughter <laughs> and it's and i just it's okay to show your emotions like you know and i'm still i have younger kids you know someone took your toy like how does that make you feel like mm-hmm. tell me how many your feelings are important to me yeah. talk to me and that's that right there is going to be the change uh so yeah i i i was raised in that culture and mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> There's a little bit of merit to it, but it was a little more, um, it it did me more of a disservice than it did um, helped. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I completely agree as well. Like, I've always, because I've I've always been an observer, like, type of person. So, like, I would just observe, like, how, like, my family was raised a little bit, how, like, my friends were raised a little bit. Like, you make a mistake, like, you're getting, like, scolded, like, like, mm-hmm. like, what, like, what's going on with you? Whereas if, if like my sister or somebody would make a mistake, it wouldn't be as intense. Sure. It's like, oh, like, how do you feel about that? And I was like, yeah. I, I started to question just like, what, like, how, how, why are you so easy with her? But with me, it's just like, oh, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, I, it's just definitely very interesting to see just how it all starts with how we're raised, like men and right. and women and the sure. differences between that. Um, and I really appreciate, again, just your openness to share your own personal experiences as well. But Isaiah, I've really enjoyed our time and just this wonderful conversation. Um, I know you started your own like company as well. Tell me a little bit about that journey and where can everybody check out like your work and what are your next steps? Yeah, so NOX, uh, no-x.net is where we're at. Uh, we're a telemedicine agency, all 50 states, Washington, D.C. as well. Um, so you you fill out the medical questionnaire, create an account, do the payment. And then some states require a physician to call you. Other states don't. But uh, if you have any questions, you can go to the, our, our story section. You can book a 10-minute call with me. Uh, and we'll, we can talk free, no obligation, no, no money. We can just talk about medications and, and answer any of your questions that way. So our goal is to provide access uh, to medications and, and hopefully make a dent in the pornography uh, addiction area. 
And one of our more long-term goals, my one of my long-term goals is to limit access to pornography sites for kids. Yeah. For right now, all you do is have to click yes on 18. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a nurse. So in order for me to get the nurse's discount, I believe it's Under Armour who does this. Uh, there's probably other ones too. But I have to go to ID.me. Wow. Submit my driver's license, submit my nursing license, <laughs> my name, my address, all the stuff, get a code to go to Under Armour's website to get their nurses discount. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why can't we have that for porn sites? Yeah. At least <laughs> it help stop the, these yeah. traumatic events to kids. Mm-hmm. Like we need to protect our kids from this. So that's my long term. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> it's probably going to be really expensive, yeah. but that's where I, I want to head eventually. Yeah, and, and I wish you the best of luck, Isaiah, with finding that as well, because like you said, you made a really good point. Like, why is it so easy for this? But to, to for like a nurse in that same position, you have to like find a code and doing all this work. It just yeah. comes down to, honestly, I just might, I honestly think it might just come down to just like, just the clickbait of it in the, you know, sure. like, it's sort of just like, oh, like it's, it's impulsive. Do. Yeah, yeah. It's very impulsive. So I, yeah, I, if you have to do all this work, you're less likely to watch porn because it's a real quick decision. Uh, so, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully this weekend we can start this and uh, reduce the traumatic exposures of our kids. Definitely. And, and like I said, Isaiah, I really appreciate all the work you have done, especially helping with others and all that stuff. And I'll make sure to put everything, all the links that you mentioned for your website and stuff in the show descriptions. That way you guys can check out all of Isaiah's work and all that fun stuff. But Isaiah, it's been an honor. Thank you. And please stay safe. Thanks.